This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. Hi, everyone. I'm John Cassis, and welcome to the podcast for my latest article, Global Credit Grading and the Case for a Relationship Default Grade. This article has been several years in the making, and I'm really excited the RMA Journal has published it. In my mind, I separate credit grading into two distinct eras, the one before algorithmic grading and the one after. In the first era, final grading was assigned using the credit officer's gut feel. Usually the lenders followed their lead and learned to grade roughly the same way. The issue with this method is that it's not consistent and if the credit officer retired, there'd be a new gut feel to deal with. So along came algorithmic grading, becoming common roughly in the early 2000s. These models brought a uniform quantitative approach to grading. They were usually developed by consulting firms, which had access to loan data from many banks. When I first started using the models, I had an immediate appreciation for the logic of the process. I didn't always agree with the individual components, but there was no doubt this was useful and that it was here to stay. As I worked with different grading models over the years, I noticed some biases. For example, metrics used in the capital markets arena made their way into business banking grading models. The debt to EBITDA ratio was one such example. At the time, this ratio was not commonly used in evaluating small and mid-sized companies. But I also noticed that credit grading models didn't account for strength provided by multiple individual sources of repayment. This could have been another bias from capital markets lending, where personal loan guarantees were not especially common. But in business banking, and sometimes in the middle market banking arena, they are. There's an implied belief that an owner's wealth is commingled with that of the business, and as a result, that owner can't provide credit enhancement on a loan to that business. This makes sense, but there are many cases where the owner has sources of income or liquidity independent of that business. These extra repayment sources improve the credit risk to a point better than that supported by the business alone. Plus, there might be additional personal guarantors with more independent sources of income and liquidity. When dealing with large companies, they're believed to have multiple ways to access capital. This suggests that lending to large companies is safer. Smaller private companies typically can't access commercial paper, public debt, and public equity markets, for example. So they're perceived as lacking the access to resources that large companies have. But sometimes the guarantors serve as the equivalent to outside sources of capital. After the financial crisis, I saw the value of personal guarantees firsthand. As businesses struggled, the owners used their global resources to continue loan payments or to pay off the debt. Guarantors access personal liquidity and cash flow from sources unrelated to the business, even though the bank had no direct right to them. Without that guarantor support, the default rate and loan losses would have been much worse than they actually were. While the business itself might have earned its inferior credit grade, the combination of business and guarantors didn't. In fact, what would have been a definite non-performing credit based on the business grade alone actually was a performing to strong performing credit on a relationship-wide basis. That's why I believe bankers should reconsider the idea that the guarantor can't enhance credit grade. My article goes into details on the matters I've just discussed, 
I also talk about other related topics like multiple lenders in the same banking relationship, small-sized guarantors, negative personal cash flows, and multiple obligors. The article also discusses a global relationship-wide view of credit grading, and I propose a framework for a relationship default grade that can be overlaid on top of an existing grading model. The article ends with a detailed example of these concepts. Well, that concludes my podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you have a chance to review my article. I welcome any feedback that readers would like to share. Please contact me at j. Cassis Consulting at earthlink.net. Thank you for listening and enjoy your day.